Well, you can keep your Bible open there at Titus chapter 1. Uh, we will be covering quite a few different passages of Scripture today. Titus provides a bit of an anchor text, text for us, but I'll be mentioning various other passages in the course of the sermon this morning. And the, our theme today as we begin this series, considering what the Bible has to say about elders, uh, the first, uh, I want to address this subject over the next few weeks by answering a few important questions about elders. And the first question I want to answer today is, why is this important? Why is it important that we know what the Bible says about elders? Why is it important that we have elders? Well, I wonder, has anyone ever asked you what the name of our church means if they did, I hope you would be able to explain it to them. Uh, the word reformed refers to what our church believes. We believe the Bible and we seek to do everything in our worship and in every other part of church life according to what the Bible says. That's the word reformed. The word Presbyterian describes how our church is organized. It comes from the Greek word for elder or elders and it simply means a church that is led by several men, a church led by several men. So that's what the name of our church means. And I mention that because it should bring home to us the fact that when, when we talk about elders, when we consider why elders are important, we're not dealing with something trivial, something of relatively little importance that we can take or leave in church life. So important a, a topic is this, that it's referenced in the very name of our church. That's how important we believe it to be. And it's important not just that churches have one man to preach. It's important that they have several men to lead together. In fact, for about the first 80 years or so of the existence of Reformed Presbyterians in Ireland, there were no teaching elders, what we today would usually refer to as ministers. For 80 years, there were no full-time ministers in the RP Church of Ireland, but there were ruling elders, men who organized worship, prayed with and for church members, and taught the Bible amongst the home groups or the, uh, the, the fellowship, the societies as they, were, as they were referred to. Sadly, the role of church elders is badly misunderstood today in the wider Christian church and beyond the church as well. Some people don't really know what an elder does, apart from maybe that he stands beside the preacher during communion, or that he shakes your hand on the door on your way in. <coughs> Some churches foolishly appoint men as elders simply because they have been in the church for a very long time, or because their father was an elder and their grandfather was an elder. And in those churches, the role of an elder is really just an honorary role, recognizing that you've been very good at coming to church for a very long period of time. Some churches have women as elders and ministers, and we'll consider over the next few weeks in due course why we don't have women as elders or ministers. Many churches have simply abandoned the practice of having elders. Other churches, such as the Church of Ireland or the Church of England, do not have elders in any meaningful sense. They opt instead for a completely different form of church government. So why do elders matter? Why does it matter so much that part of our name means that we are an elder-led church? 
And why do all of you as members in this church need to very carefully and prayerfully consider in the weeks ahead who should become elders in our congregation? Well, I want to try to answer some of these questions this morning. And you've had the sermon outline in front of you for two weeks now, so uh, you're very well familiar with where we're going. But just to put some meat on the bones, we'll, we'll work our way through the, the five answers to this question that I have this morning. And we will deal with most of these five answers fairly briefly, in case you think you're in for a, a doubly long sermon this morning. Uh, but first of all, the first answer to this question, why elders are important. Well, first of all, because elders are commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ. Elders are commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ. Quite simply, as one preacher has said it, uh, elders are all over the New Testament. Uh, you can hardly turn, certainly once you get into the letters, the epistles of the New Testament, you can hardly turn a page without finding reference. You can hardly find a congregation mentioned in the New Testament without mention of the fact that that church has elders. The Bible uses a handful of different words to refer to the same job. And boys and girls, these are the words uh, that you're trying to unscramble this morning. So you'll, if you have the sheet in front of you, so you'll hear most of them in pretty quick succession in the next few moments. Uh, but there are various words used in the Bible to describe the same job in the church. Uh, there's the word overseer or bishop, depending on your translation. There's the word elder and there's the word pastor. Pastor is just another word for shepherd. And in the New Testament, very clearly, each of those different words refers to the same thing, refers to the same job. And it's important to say as well at the outset that whilst elders have different roles within their congregation, they share the same authority and they are in the same office. In other words, the, the teaching elder, which is the role I have in the church, the teaching elder does not have any more authority than what we call a ruling elder, the position held in our congregation by, by Raymond and by our interim elders, John and Robert. We all have the same authority. We are all in the same office. Our tradition in Northern Irish Presbyterian circles is to refer to the teaching elder as the minister because uh, he ministers the word <coughs> and to the ruling elders simply as the elders. <coughs> and that distinction isn't wrong. It, it reflects the fact that we carry out different rules and Paul talks about that in 1 Timothy 5.17. But although we have different rules, we are in the same office. We're not really in the habit in our, in our church culture of referring to Pastor Philip or Pastor John, or Pastor Raymond. But that's what every elder is, a pastor. And we'll think more about that in due course. So elders, pastors, whichever word you prefer, they appear all over the New Testament. And that, quite simply, friends, is because the Lord Jesus Christ has commanded that they be put in place in the church, that they be the ones to lead the church the primary leaders of the church after the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven, the primary leaders of the church were, of course, the apostles. But the apostles were in a unique position. The apostles were eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus, and they were personally appointed by the risen Jesus to their role as apostles. And so that office has since long ago died off. 
But with an eye to the future, the apostles appointed elders as the leaders in every church that they planted. Titus 1 verse 5, Paul says to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Paul says the first thing that Titus was to do in Crete was to make sure that there were elders appointed in however many congregations there were on that island. In fact, in Titus chapter 1 verse 1, Paul describes himself as a servant of Christ, appointed specifically, he says, to seek the welfare of God's people. And so in the course of wanting the welfare of God's people in Crete, one of the first things Paul does is he commands that elders be appointed. We read earlier from Acts chapter 14, we saw how Paul and Barnabas, having preached the gospel and planted churches all along southern Asia Minor, in Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, they go back to those churches. They don't just visit them once and go, and go away. They went back and visited each one of them again. And when they went back, they appointed elders in each church. It says Acts 14, 23, When they had appointed elders for them in every church, they committed them to the Lord with prayer and fasting. In Acts 20, verse 17, as Paul prepares to leave Ephesus after a three-year ministry there, he calls the elders for a final meeting. And he says in Acts 20, verse 28, that it was the Holy Spirit who made them overseers of the flock. Or listen to how Paul begins his letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers, or the elders, and deacons. So friends, it's assumed, it's the accepted pattern of the New Testament church to have elders, and if necessary, to help the elders as well, to uh, relieve some of the burden of, of work of elders, deacons leading the church. Where does this pattern come from then? It comes from the Lord Jesus himself, because the apostles were personally appointed by the Lord Jesus. They carried out everything that the Lord Jesus had commanded them to do in the early days of his church, and this was part of his will. Ephesians 4, verse 11. I know I'm giving you a lot of references, but I think it's important just to get a, a well-rounded view of this from, from the New Testament. Ephesians 4, 11. And he, that is Christ, gave the apostles, <coughs> the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. So Jesus himself is the good shepherd and he has appointed other under shepherds, shepherds under him as his leaders in the church. And so, friends, the appointment of qualified elders is the will of Jesus Christ for his church. It's what he wants us to do. It's what he's commanded us to do. And therefore, it's what we should do. Elders are commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, elders are set apart by the Lord Jesus Christ. Elders are set apart by the Lord Jesus Christ. The office of elder isn't just a New Testament office. It's actually a far more ancient office than that. 
Um, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 16, when God first sent Moses to the Israelites in Egypt, he said, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, has appeared to me. So as far back as the Israelites being slaves in Egypt, they had elders. Now possibly those elders uh, were not ordained men in the formal sense that we have now, but they were recognized leaders amongst the people. And then of course we read from Exodus 18 earlier and we saw how Moses added to the number of elders in Israel and gave them authority alongside him uh, to share the load of caring for the people and sorting out some of the, the, the disputes amongst the people and bringing God's word to the people. A good, a good reminder that it's good to listen at times to the advice of your father-in-law there in Exodus chapter 18. So the office of elder is a long-standing office. And it's an office, friends, to which men called into it are, are set apart. They are, they are specially set aside to do that work. Another word used for that is they are ordained for the work. And maybe that's another word that you hear used in church circles sometimes, and you think, well, what does that really mean, that word ordained? Ordained simply means set apart. Someone is picked out from the group to do something that the rest of the group does not have to do. When the Old Testament priests, the Levites, when they officially began their work as young men, they were set apart through the laying on of hands. The other, some of the other priests would come and symbolically lay their hands upon them and pray for them. And that was public demonstration to everyone else. These men are doing a job that most of the rest of you are not going to be doing. An important job. And similarly, the New Testament continues that pattern of uh, the peers, the other elders, laying their hands on those who are set apart. First Timothy 4.14, Paul reminds Timothy, a young and inexperienced pastor, that he was prayed for. He says, when the elders or the presbytery laid their hands on you, when they ordained Timothy. I can remember my own ordination very clearly. Uh, seven years ago this month, I knelt down on the floor just below the pulpit in Dervick Meeting House and it was a very humbling experience to have elders from our Northern Presbytery pray for me and lay their hands on me and set me apart <coughs> for the work that God had called me to do. An ordination is wonderful and joyful but it's also very serious and solemn. Uh, it's, it's a reminder to everyone who witnesses that this man is being called to do a, 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 an important, demanding, wonderful work. <coughs> a work that most other people will not have to do, but a work that this man must do. It's not just a task to be ticked off becoming an elder. It's not an achievement to be proud of in, in the ordinary sense that we talk about that. It's a calling to be thankful for. It's a calling to which a man is set apart. Elders are commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ and they are set apart by the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, uh, why is this important? It's important because the office of elder has been given authority by the Lord Jesus Christ. The office of elder has been given authority by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now please take note here, friends, it is the office, not any man 
uh, in and of himself who holds authority. Uh, let me try to explain what I mean by that. Imagine you're driving in your car and a policeman or a policewoman stops you at a checkpoint on the road some dark winter's night. I'm sure some of you over the years have experienced that in Northern Ireland. And the police officer wants to check, uh, he wants to look at your license, wants to ask you where you've been and where you're going. Well, you can't start asking that police officer how many GCSEs he or she has or what score they got on their police training exams. They wear the uniform, they have been given the authority, and so that authority, the authority of their office, must be respected and obeyed. And friends, there is a very real sense in which when your elders speak to you directly and and ask you to do something or change something in church life, they speak with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they should be obeyed. Some people have the idea that elders, church elders, are like members of parliament. In other words, they represent the people. You know, the, the elders represent the people of the congregation to the rest of the elders or to the minister. Uh, in 2017, the, the Westminster Parliament in London voted overwhelmingly to allow the government to begin negotiating Britain's exit from the European Union. Many of the MPs who voted to do that did not want to do it. They were against Brexit, but they represented hundreds of thousands of people who did want them to do it, and they had to vote as the people they represented demanded. They were representing their people. Elders are not like that. Elders do not represent the people of the congregation to the other elders. They represent Christ to the congregation. Elders are to declare Christ's words to the congregation. They are to display Christ's character to the congregation. And they are to carry out Christ's will amongst the congregation. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Notice he says that, because of their work. Not because they are the smartest or the the wealthiest or the most accomplished members of the church, but because of the work that they have been set apart to do, the work of representing Christ to the congregation. Hebrews 13 verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Again, notice it's because of the work that the elders do that they are to be obeyed and respected. And so, friends, the church is not a democracy. There are some democratic aspects to church life, but the church is a monarchy. Christ is our king, and he has appointed elders to represent him to his subjects and to do only what Christ himself wants done in and amongst and for his church. Now, please don't misunderstand me. This is not to say that elders just do not listen or pay any attention to the opinions and the needs and the concerns of the church. Of course not. We'll think much more about that in weeks to come. What kind of shepherd would it be who didn't care about what's happening in the lives of his flock? But elders do that by and under the authority of Christ. 
And so, friends, if you're a member of this church and your elders tell you that they would like to see you more involved in church life, or if they encourage you to be present at every worship service, not just for the sake of more numbers, but for the sake of your own soul, if your elders come to comfort you or guide you with Christ's word, if you hear of your elders going after stray members of the flock and urging them to come back, or even if your elders on occasion have to exercise the most strict forms of church discipline, then elders are to be respected and they are to be obeyed. And you should consider their exhortations and their encouragements as coming from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Fourth reason why this subject is important. Because those who hold the office of elder are accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who hold the office of elder are accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, every elder is accountable to all the other elders. I'm accountable to our interim session. And of course, our session is accountable to our presbytery. Our presbytery is accountable to our synod. And each of those levels of authority you go up, there are more elders, not less. In some churches, it's the other way around. The higher up the church you go, the fewer people there are in charge until you get to a pope or you get to a human head of state. But again, friends, that is not the biblical model. We want more accountability in church, not less. And this is why elders and their families are visited, just as every other uh, family in the church should be visited ordinarily during the course of the year. This is why in our denomination, every congregation is visited by our presbytery. uh, And questions are asked of the teaching elder and the ruling elders and the deacons and the church members. And ultimately, we are accountable not just to our human structures in the church, but accountable to Christ. And this balances, of course, what we've just said about the authority of elders. Yes, elders carry the authority of their office, but that authority must not be abused or poorly used. Elders will have to give an account for how we have acted in the office to which Christ called us. Listen to the rest of Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Those who will have to give an account. And so whichever of you men become elders, you will have to give an account, as will I, to the Lord Jesus Christ himself for how we have carried out our role in that office. And Christ will not ask us, men, were you popular? Did you make sure and keep up the numbers and the membership rule? Did you keep everyone happy all the time? No, he will ask us, were you faithful to my word? Did you feed my sheep? Did you rule well? Did you sacrifice your time and your comfort out of concern for my sheep? Elders will have to give an account. I will have to give an account. And so this should eliminate any hint of pride in a man who holds this office. In everything he does and in everything that an elder feels to do, he needs to remember that he will give an account to the Lord Jesus. That is a solemn thought for any elder or potential elder to consider.
So why is this important? Because elders are commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ. Elders are set apart by the Lord Jesus Christ. They are given authority by the Lord Jesus Christ. They are accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ. And fifthly and finally, friends, because elders <coughs> seek the good of the people of Jesus Christ. Elders are to seek the good of the people of the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 1 again, Paul says, He himself is a servant of Christ for the sake of Christ's people, so that their, their faith would be deepened, so that their knowledge of their Savior would grow, so that they would become more like their Savior themselves. And again, that's, that's the reason why he tells Titus to set apart elders in Crete. He's saying, Titus, give your people several men in all their congregations that can pastor them and disciple them and build them up in their faith. That ultimately, friends, is the task of elders, whether they're visiting the bereaved, whether we are explaining the gospel to a new convert, whether we're teaching a Bible class or just explaining the Bible one-on-one -on -one to someone more privately and quietly. Elders exist to strengthen the faith of Christ's people. And so ordinarily, if all things being as they should be, it is a wonderful blessing for any congregation to have a team of elders like that. I had that in my last congregation. I'm thankful for the interim elders that we have serving us in Dremore. But we will be better equipped and we will be better served by men from amongst our own congregation being called into this task. Elders who seek to rule well will seek to love you as Jesus loves them. They will support you and help you develop in your own relationship with the Lord Jesus. And that is a wonderful gift to be thankful for in church life. I want to just highlight very quickly several specific advantages and blessings of having church elders. First of all, and not to sound too selfish about it, but uh, one advantage is that the teaching elder is supported the teaching elder is supported, and by that I don't mean he's just, uh, all his decisions are just okayed without any discussion. I just mean that in general he is, uh, help is given to him in the work that he's called to do. Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ is a greater privilege than being a prime minister or a president or anything else. Paul says to Timothy, if any man desires to be in the office of an elder, he desires a noble task. But it is also a demanding task. We're dealing with people's souls. We're, we're dealing with people's lives. And that requires more wisdom than any one man has, friends. That's the lesson that Moses learned from, Jeth from Jethro in Exodus chapter 18. And I've mentioned already the New Testament always talks about elders, not just an elder. It's never singular in the New Testament. It is always a shared rule. Visiting the people, teaching God's word, even if the teaching pastor does the bulk of the teaching, leading in prayer, uh, doing hospitality, uh, dividing out the different responsibilities of the church, it should all be shared amongst a team of men. Rather than putting all the responsibilities on one man who will then inevitably burn out and possibly drop out altogether of ministry, the responsibilities and challenges are to be shared. And so the teaching elder is supported. Secondly, a balanced leadership is maintained. A balanced leadership is maintained. 
a team of elders will, by God's grace, make up for each other's weaknesses. It's the same on a football team or, or a rugby team. I'm sure many of you enjoyed watching Ireland's fantastic victory yesterday. And in any kind of team, you have different strengths and different particular gifts. And those strengths complement one another and they, and they balance out maybe the weaknesses that each member has as well. One writer says, with a team of elders, extreme ideas are tempered, harsh judgments moderated, and doctrinal imbalances corrected. In any, in any session, any team of elders, there are some who are more patient than others. There are some who are more organized than others. Some are good public speakers. Some even can preach occasionally. Some are better at just ministering God's word more quietly, one-to-one. Some are particularly gentle. Some are particularly firm in their convictions. All those things, friends, balance, need to be balanced out amongst the team leading the church. And so we will have better spiritual leadership in Dremore when we have more spiritual leadership in Dremore. So the teaching elder is supported, a balanced leadership is maintained, and then the last, uh, the last thing to say about the good of elders is that the blessings are multiplied. The blessings are multiplied. I've mentioned this already, but for a church to have a team of men who organize church life, who pray, who disciple, who pastor, who feed people God's word, that is an immense blessing. It's a wonderful blessing. And that's what I'm praying we will have by God's grace in the months and years to come. Several men, maybe three, four, five of us, who can work together, pray together, and disciple this little church family in Dremore. I don't intend, and I've already spoken about this with our interim session, I don't intend on throwing a huge to-do list at any elders that are ordained in our congregation in the near future. Of course there are things that they will need to do. There are things we will need to discuss and plan for. There will be meetings to attend. But more than anything else, what I want to do if and when we receive new elders is to take time together to pray, to, to train, to, to listen to the experience of our interim elders for a little while, to, to figure out together the best ways and best times for us to bring God's word into the lives of our membership here in Dremore, how to most effectively minister the word to one another. Jeremy Rin, who's written an excellent little book on church elders. It's part of the Nine Marks series. And he says in a Nine Marks article about elders, what is the point of that elder's hospital visit? Or why does he spend an evening with the couple devastated by infertility? Or have breakfast with the elderly man who recently lost his wife of 50 years? Certainly he is there to encourage and comfort these hurting church members, but he should also be there to promote spiritual growth. So instead of only asking, how are you feeling? And is there anything the church can do to help? A discipleship-minded elder will tactfully ask questions like, what do you think God is teaching in your life during this difficult experience? Has God shown you something about himself in the midst of your suffering? He will not only pray for healing and comfort, but also for God's refining, sanctifying work. That is the purpose of elders, friends, to make disciples, to encourage the flock, 
to bring them God's word and to show them the Savior. The more elders we have in our church who are able and willing to do that, the more blessing we will experience. And let me say to you today, some of you men, maybe you believe that God is calling you to this work, or you're at least open to the possibility that he is. But maybe after reflecting on these things today, you're having second thoughts. Maybe you think, well, I wouldn't do that job perfectly. There are, there are areas of my life that are, are not Christ-like. Well, friends, there are no human elders on this earth who can't also say that. There are no perfect elders. You certainly do not have a perfect teaching elder. I've only been here a year. If I haven't disappointed you yet, I will at some point in the future. I'm sorry in advance. There are no perfect elders. But the hope of the church is not in human shepherds. It's in the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, the shepherd who gave his very life on the cross for his sheep. And that is the message that Christ sends every elder to proclaim. Perhaps to some of you today, even who have not yet put your trust in this shepherd, I would urge you to do that today. Begin following this shepherd. And having done that, receive the teaching and pastoral care that your chief shepherd provides through the under-shepherds, the human shepherds that he appoints in his church. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>